Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 John chapter 4, the book of 1 John chapter 4. We continue our study through the New Testament. Actually, you know, before we begin in 1 John chapter 4, we have to look at some other passages in Scripture just really quick before we begin our study in 1 John chapter 4. Turn with me really quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, this is a letter from Paul. This is Paul's second letter to the saints in Corinth. And open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And in verse 8, Brother Paul says this. He says in verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. And Brother Paul says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Now, Notice the tense here where Paul is writing to the saints in Corinth. This is the second letter, and he's referring to the first letter where he says, Now that you know, with the second letter, I don't regret it now, but at the time I did regret it. Now, when you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while and you remember our study through 1 Corinthians. There's some very serious subject matter that Paul writes about, the things that he addresses, and not just the subject matter, but the courses of action that he instructs the saints. Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians all the way here to 1 John chapter 4, and you'll understand much more about what we speak of. And so Paul, what he's saying here in this second letter that, yes, I regretted it at the time is what he's saying. But, you know, when, when I wrote 1 Corinthians is what he's saying. But now he doesn't. Now, very interesting. At the time, he regretted it. But he was sorry. But he says, you know, at the time, I, I was sorry. But now I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. Now, why is that? And he says this in verse 8. He says, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Notice, it's just for a short time. Now, if you remember our study from 1 Corinthians, those are difficult topics. And he says in this second epistle, he says in verse 9, Now I rejoice. You see, for the short term, sorrow and regret. But now Paul rejoices and he says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow, he says in verse 10, he says, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, picture for a moment. You and me, let's get in my time machine and let's go to Corinth. We go to the first Corinthians generation. Now, in my time machine, we get out and say we're new believers in Christ. And that is absolutely a good thing. New believers in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, remember, new believers are babies in Christ. We don't have the depth of understanding because we got in my time machine and we're babies in Christ in the, in the era, in the generation of first Corinthians. And unbeknownst to us, we are not growing and maturing in Christ, you see? Because, you know, we go to church, we figure, well, this is what Christians do, so let's go to church, you know, and let's, you know, you know, talk with these brothers, you know, fellowship with these brothers and sisters, and, you know, this church becomes like a social club. 
Now, remember, we're babies in Christ. Unbeknownst to us, these are things that are not good, but we're babies. We don't have this depth of understanding to where, hey, church should not be a social club. Nevertheless, church is a social club. And when church is a social club, you see the works of the flesh and the, the, the carnal nature where people are still engaging in their sex and their alcohol and their extortion and all these works of the flesh. And, you know, the pastors, they're nice guys. They tell us jokes. They keep us happy. And the whole time, unbeknownst to us, because remember, we're babies. We're new believers. We simply don't know the intricacies of a walk with Christ and moving on to perfection. And unbeknownst to us, the particular pastors that we have in Corinth, that first letter, first letter, that generation of Corinth, unbeknownst to us, they're disqualified. They're disqualified. They're defunct. And then so there we are. We're in that generation the first letter of corinth or to the corinthian saints and then a letter from paul arrives somebody comes in hey we got a letter from paul you guys and somebody says well you know i can read because I, I, reading wasn't a big thing back in the day and somebody says hey you know i can read i can understand the the, the text i can i can read and so you know they, they he stands up at the top at, at, at the at the front and he starts to read the letter and it starts out not nice. It's, it's very nice. And we get the warm and fuzzies and we're so in love with Paul. But then something happens. Where, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2, we get into chapter 3. And then he starts to touch on some very serious subject matter, some very major issues in the church. And it gets to the point where Paul, see, someone's reading his letter. And it gets to the point where Paul says that our rejoicing is not a good thing because of the works of the flesh with the sex and the alcohol and the extortion. Because of the works of the flesh, he says that our, our, our rejoicing is not a good thing. And these are works in the flesh that it, weren't just, it wasn't just there for a week or two weeks or two months. No, this is year after year, unaddressed sin. And remember, we're just babies, unbeknownst to us. We don't, we don't realize that this is a bad thing. And so the reader is reading Paul's letter. And, you know, we see that, whoa, Paul says this is not a good thing. And then he explains, he says, it's not a good thing because there's leaven in the bunch. And then he tells us to separate from those who are involved with these works, the works of the flesh, the sex, the alcohol, the extortion. And this hurts for us because remember, we're new believers. We got in my time machine and we go back in the day and it hurts us because it was our church family. I mean, Paul is saying that our rejoicing isn't good, but it's our church family. You see, church had become a social club and we didn't know that that was a bad thing. We liked the people. Those were our brothers. Those were our sisters. And maybe even we got entangled in their shenanigans where somebody wanted to get drunk and drink their alcohol and said, hey, come on, let's join us, join us, join us. And we said, okay, we're going to join you. And remember, we're babies. We, we just don't have that understanding that those works of the flesh uncorrected is not a good thing. And neither did anybody else except for Chloe. And those in her household. And so Paul writes a letter back to the saints. And this reader is reading it in, in the fellowship. And we realize like, whoa, this isn't a good thing. You see? 
And we figure like, well, this is, this is painful. This is a shock to us that this is our, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we were involved in their shenanigans. And, 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 and Paul is saying that this isn't a good thing. And Paul's words hurt. They hurt. But something happens. We're babies in Christ. We make a choice. You and me, we make a choice. We're going to yield ourselves to Paul's teachings. We're going to yield ourselves to Paul's exhortation. And so we join with the smaller fellowship and our fellowship becomes smaller. And our fellowship becomes smaller, but now our growth and maturity in Christ can continue and resume because the leaven is no longer a factor, you see, because we are among the remnant. And this is what Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, where when he wrote 1 Corinthians, there was sorrow and regret. That, that's undeniable. It hurt. I mean, it hurt for us to hear it and the, the, the reader to read Paul's letter. It hurt for us. But at the same time, it hurt for Paul to write those letters, to write those words. It hurt. It's painful. And you and me and the remnant, we yield to Paul, we repent, we separate from the leaven, and our fellowship did become smaller. But what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he's explaining what happened. Remember, 1 Corinthians, that's the first letter, 2 Corinthians, second letter. And Paul, in explaining what happened, is saying this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, he says, For observe this very, thi- this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. You see, there's distinction between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Because with worldly sorrow, we'd say, you know, you know we'd be sitting there in the pews and we'd be sitting there, you know, with, with, uh, with you know, partaking of the shenanigans of the flesh and the carnal nature. And when Paul says, hey, your rejoicing isn't a good thing, you know what? Worldly sorrow would be like, wait a second, hold the phone there. Who in the world does Paul think he is? Who does Paul think he is? He's lost his mind. He's crazy. He's mean-spirited. We're supposed to love one another. Who does Paul think he is? And with that worldly sorrow, you know what else would happen? the leaven would spread. The leaven, the spreading of the leaven, it would take its course and then decay would set in, you see? And worldly sorrow produces something evil and moves in the direction of wickedness. But not so with godly sorrow. Godly sorrow produces something beautiful and moves in the direction of righteousness. You see, and Paul speaks of this godly sorrow. He says this in verse 11. He says, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. You see, we don't have to deal with the weight of a guilty conscience. Because remember, if we got in my time machine, we're in that first, first, uh, 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 first Corinthians era, the first letter. And yeah, it was painful to hear those words being read, written by Paul. It was painful to hear. For the reader to say, hey, look, we got a letter from Paul and everybody's excited. Wow, Paul wrote to us, Paul wrote to us. Read it, read it, read it. And then he starts reading and then boom, it's like, whoa, what is it? Our rejoicing isn't good. And then he was sorrow and regretful at the time. 
But three years later, for 2 Corinthians, he's no longer regretful. He doesn't regret it. The reason why is because of what it produced in you and me. Where you and me, we made a cognizant choice. You know what? We're among the remnant. We desire to be among the remnant. And that being the case, we have to repent and we're going to separate. And we learn that by yielding to Paul. And yielding to Paul, look what happens. Now we're in the second Corinthians era, which is three years after. There's a three-year gap between the two letters. We're three years later and Paul is explaining, look at what it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, you and me, we no longer have the guilty conscience. Why? Because we're not partaking, we're not participating in the shenanigans of the flesh anymore. Now there's something deeper in our church family where it's, yes, it's church family, but it's different than before. It's koinonia. It's ecclesia. It's love feast. The formula is right. It has been restored once again. Why? Because there's no leaven. No guilty conscience. We don't have to wonder like, oh, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I got drunk last night. Is that a bad thing? No guilty conscience. Why? Because there's no alcohol. We don't have to wonder, oh, you know, is this a bad thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this a bad thing? No guilty conscience. Why? Because we're partakers of things among the remnant. Holy things among the remnant. And Paul says, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. Remember, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. Now, three years later from 1 Corinthians, yielding to Paul, we get in my time machine. For us, it has proven to be safe. And at this beginning of wisdom, growth can resume. We can move on to perfection. You see? And Paul continues, he says, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, he says. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, now for the second Corinthians generation, our rejoicing is a good thing. Before with the leaven, our rejoicing, not a good thing. You see, and with Paul, there were some hard hitting truths. But in the course of time, it produced something in us. It produced something in the remnant. You see? Now, does this mean that things are fine and dandy and we will forever be safe? No. Because there's always going to be threats in our journey to paradise. There will always be threats in our journey to paradise. Because still in 2 Corinthians... Look what Paul says here in, 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 in chapter 11. Turn really quick to chapter 11. Remember, to the remnant. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says in verse 3, But I fear, this is Paul writing to the saints, the remnant. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Notice he, he goes straight up to Gen the book of Genesis. He goes to the beginning. He goes to the Garden of Eden. And Paul's fear, he says, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it, he says. This is Paul. 
Full package. This is he's qualified. He's a qualified overseer. Full package, not package one, not package two, not package three. Full package. Remember now, if you're listening, like, what is he talking about? The package deal. Go back and listen to our study through uh, the the introduction to First Timothy, and then First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. You'll understand all about the full package. And Paul is full package. And Paul is revealing his phobia to the saints, to the remnant of Corinth. And he doesn't say that he's afraid for himself. He says that he's afraid for the saints because of he who comes. Now, remember in verse 3, he likens it to the serpent in the garden. This he who comes. Likening it to the serpent in the garden. He says he who comes with a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. Amen. In verse 13 of that same chapter, in verse 13, 14, and 15, Paul, he calls such people servants and ministers and apostles of Satan. And they have an appearance of apostles of Christ. You see, they have an appearance of what is good and right and holy. They have an appearance. But they are evil. And they serve their master, the devil. You see, Paul's phobia was for the saints, that they may well put up with it. Very interesting. And don't forget, when the disciples asked Jesus about the time of the end, our Lord himself, he said there would be, that there would be many Christs. That's what our Lord says. Picture that. Picture that. A lineup of 1,000 Christs. 1,000 Christs. They all look the same. They all dress the same. But there's only one way to know the real. His word the full counsel of the word of God. A lineup of a thousand Christ and 999 will take you to hell with them. You see? Because paradise is only found in one. Remember, the disciples asked, you know, tell us what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he starts to indicate our Lord. He starts to indicate the signs of the times. And in this, this uh, indicators of the last day, he says, the last days, he says, there will be many Christs propagated by many false prophets, many Christs. And Paul's phobia, it's for the saints. And it is also Brother John's phobia. And so we begin our study in 1 John chapter 4. Now let's go back to, or let's go forward to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, beautiful, beautiful brother John. And he says this, brother John says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. In the Greek, it's dokimaso. In the Greek, dokimaso, which is to prove, examine, discern. And Brother John says to do that, to test the spirits, to prove, examine, and discern the spirits. Notice the, there's plurality to spirits. It's not just one, many. And Brother John says to examine and discern. And he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. And if it's not of God, it only leads one alternative. That's Satan. And Brother John says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Notice these false prophets are many, not just one. It's just like Paul's phobia, what what he told us in 2 Corinthians. 
And Paul's phobia, John also has the phobia. And he's teaching us. He's teaching the saints, just like Paul taught us. And in verse 2, Brother John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, there are deceivers today. Deceivers today who they simply say that Jesus has come in the flesh. That's what they say. Jesus has come in the flesh. And Christians, believers, so easily accept them as ministers of God. And these deceivers, they gain the trust of unlearned believers. And they pull these unlearned believers away from Jesus. Because they cite this very verse, you know, in verse 2, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And that's what they cite. Because look, Brother John says it. But what they do is they also don't account for the it is also written. And what they, they speak, it has an appearance of righteousness. Words that they speak that sound very Christ-like. The words are like one of the 999 Christ that our Lord warned us about. The many Christ. And Jesus is the one who says that this is going to be prevalent in the last days. Many false prophets teaching many Christs. These deceivers and these servants of Satan, they use verse 2 where, you know, in verse 2 where Brother John says, you know, Jesus has come in the flesh. And what they do is they count on Christians not to factor the thousands of it is also written. That's what they do. And the baby believers, the adolescent believers, and even the presumed mature believers are dragged away. That's what's happening. I mean, it happened in the early day, in the early church. But it's happening today, even still, and even more, even more prevalent. It's one of the signs of the last days. And sometimes people tell me, well, you know, you, you shouldn't be so hard on denominations. You shouldn't be so hard on denominations because, look, God is love and we're supposed to love. Look, just like Brother John says, these are non-essentials, they say. Oh, they're very essential. I meant, picture a playground. You and me sitting at a playground. And the children are playing. We're sitting on a bench. Is it not preposterous to see a threat to the children and say nothing? Is that not preposterous? If we were to see the threat and say nothing, that's preposterous to say nothing. You see a guy. Oh, look. There's that little guy. There. There's that guy over there. Look, he looks little. He's in, in the distance. But look, there he is. And he's staring at the children. He's staring at the, you know, oh, look, he's staring at the little girls. Oh, look, he, he picked one of them up. Oh, look, he, he tossed her into his van. Oh, look, he's driving away with her. Oh, look, he's probably a really nice guy. It's foolishness to say nothing of the threat. It's foolishness to do nothing of the threat. You see? And that's why Paul said to Titus, remember, the senior pastor to junior pastor? 
the next generation of pastors. And that's why Paul says to Titus, their mouths must be stopped. Now, when Paul says their mouths must be stopped, Paul didn't say, go into town, go into town, Titus, and beat them up. He doesn't say that. Because remember, our warfare, it is not carnal. Our warfare is not of the flesh. We fight according to the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are of the spirit. They are not carnal. And so Paul says to Titus, he says, their mouths must be stopped. But he tells Titus, listen, only speak. That's all you got to do. Just speak. Just speak. Because it's only the remnant who has ears. It's only the remnant who has ears. And in these last days, Paul's phobia, John's phobia, we're starting to see things that they warned us about. Because in these last days, the things that we're seeing today and the things that we're going to see even more are things that many people call a revival. We're going to see what many people call crusades and movements seen as what is referred to as a harvest. They'll be called movements of the Lord. They'll say that God's spirit is pouring out on all flesh. But what you won't see is discernment, biblical discernment. Don't forget, God pours out, absolutely. But Satan also pours. God pours and Satan pours. Don't forget. And when God pours out, the Lord, the Most High, when He pours out, people acknowledge the Lord, and that is a good thing. But with the fear of the Lord, and in the presence of the Lord, people are no longer who they were. The Buddhists can come. And boom, I'm done with Buddha. That's what happens. Because of the fear of the Lord and in the presence of the Lord. That's what happens. A person can come, I'm Buddhist, and then boom, I'm done with Buddha. Why? Because he's nothing compared to the Most High. Buddha is nothing. You see? The prostitute can come and done. I'm done with prostitution. That's what happens because of the fear of the Lord. The prostitute, done. Those days are over. You see? A person who worships Mary can come. Boom. I'm done with Mary. The homosexual can come. Boom. I'm done with homosexuality. Boom. The lesbian can come. Boom. I'm done with lesbianism. You see? That's what happens when God pours out. When the Lord pours out. But when Satan pours out, People do acknowledge the Lord, and that is a good thing. But they're missing a very key ingredient. They're missing the fear of the Lord. The Buddhist comes, oh, God is love, and I love God. And the Buddhist stays Buddhist. The prostitute comes, oh, look, God is love. God is love, and I love God. And she stays the prostitute. The Mary worshiper comes, oh, look, God is love. And I love God. You see? And the Mary worshiper stays with Mary. The homosexual comes. Oh, God is love and love. And, 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 and I love the Lord. I love God. And he stays homosexual. The lesbian. 
God is love and I love God. And she stays lesbian. That's what happens when Satan pours out. You see, no fear of the Lord. And on top of that, you'll see pastors. You'll see pastors who jump on the the bandwagon of the so-called revival. You'll see the grave soakers, the money preachers, the name it and claim it group, the crazy love people, and all in the name of unity. Don't forget. Don't forget what Brother John wrote about in the book of Revelation. How the call of the whore of Babylon cries out from afar. That mother of harlots. The very thing that Brother John warns about in the book of Revelation. We have to be wise in these last days. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form, I am not saying that revival can't happen. What I am saying is we need to be wise. We need to be discerning. We need to be Bereans. You see? Don't forget 1 John just a couple weeks ago, 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, where Brother John says that, you know, we know that the Antichrist is coming, and that's when Satan finds his host. But before that, many Antichrists have risen and will continue to rise. That's what John tells us. And John says that these threats are even from inside the church. These are the things that Brother Paul warns about when he wrote his letters. Because Brother Paul, he also tells us that the revealing of the Antichrist, when Satan finds his host, it's according, in the Greek, when you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in the Greek, it's according to the exceedingly intense and powerful working of Satan with miraculous power, ability, abundance, might, and supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles. And wonders and omens that deceive, lie, and are untrue. You see? And Brother Paul also tells us that Satan presents himself as an angel of light. You see, don't forget, don't forget, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old, he deceived even the angels. Don't forget. He caused even the angels to defect away from the Most High, the Most High God. He deceived even the angels. You see? And people say it all the time, but the Bible says God will pour out His Spirit. Yes. Yes. But we have to remember that it is also written because Satan will pour out as well. And Satan deceived even the angels. Not one angel, not two angels, one-third of the population of angels. Now, among the realm of men, who do you know that can discern these things? Who? Who is there? Where are the Pauls of our generation? Where are the Johns and the Peters and the James of our generation? Where are they? And in these last days, we're seeing what many refer to as revivals. They're arising. 
And we also see crusades and movements and they're seen and referred to and called a harvest. You see people making professions of faith and coming to Jesus. And when anyone comes to Jesus, that's a beautiful thing. When anyone comes to Jesus, that is a good thing. But remember our study in Hebrews and the book of James? We come to Jesus as a, at 0%, but we don't stay at 0%. We move on to perfection. Now, with these modern crusades, I'll tell you what they do. These modern crusades... What they do is they partner with local churches in the surrounding area of the crusade. So let's say, for example, there's going to be a crusade in Houston, Texas, in the United States of America. Houston, Texas, there's going to be a crusade. Now, what the organizers of the crusade, they will, they'll do like, you know, m many months in advance in preparation. They'll send out with a marketing campaign. They'll send out marketing campaigns to area churches. You know, you know, would you like to increase your church membership? Would you like to have people in your pews? Just call this number. And they put out this marketing campaign, this marketing blast. And so all these churches respond, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Episcopals, the Catholics, the Protestants, the Evangelical, they all respond. And they're all asked to help in this so-called work of the Lord. And so what you see happening is you have many denominations coming together as one in this effort. And so now it's the, the day of the crusade or the weekend of the crusade and thousands of people make professions of faith. And when any person comes to Christ, that is a good thing. But then what happens is these people who've made a profession of faith, these beautiful souls, and remember, they're just babies. They're just babies, new in the faith. Just the, like the earlier example we gave when you and me, when we got in my time machine. We're just babies. We didn't know. And these people, they make these professions of faith. They don't have the knowledge base that comes through time. And what happens is that they get dispersed to these partner churches. Where a person makes a profession of faith the day of the crusade. And then they get funneled to the local Catholic church. The local Episcopal church. The local Lutheran church. You see? And in the course of time where a person made a profession of faith on the day of the crusade. And then a couple weeks later, a couple months later. The person is worshiping Mary. The person worships Mary while wearing a scapulet and praying the rosary. That's what's happening. You see? That's what the modern crusade is. And then you'll see the head organizer, you know, of the crusade, you know, the organizers, the head ministry leaders. You'll see them on the news being interviewed. And you'll hear them say, oh, yeah, God is moving. The spirit of the Lord is moving. We had 15,000 professions of faith. And it seems good. It seems like, wow, 15,000 professions of faith. That's a good thing. And you'll see the guy on the news. Oh, by the way, I wrote this new book. That's a New York Times bestseller. And it seems like a good thing. 15,000 profession, professions of faith. It seems like a good thing. But what you don't see happening, these baby believers, 
are getting funneled. They get funneled to the Episcopals. They get funneled to the Methodists. They get funneled to the Catholics. You see? And in the course of time, those dogmas of those doctrines, they take root because the baby doesn't know. The new believer doesn't know. And all of a sudden, the new believer is praying the rosary, worshiping Mary, worshiping angels, praying to angels. You see? Where the day of the crusade, people come to Jesus at 0%. But what happens is they don't move on to perfection. In fact, depending on the doctrine, they may even leave Jesus. Remember what Paul said to the saints in Galatia? Where Paul says, I'm blown away that you're turning away so soon from Jesus. That's what he told the believers. Yeah, you believe. Yeah, you're saints. But you're turning away. And I marvel. And this turning away, you know what it's called in the Greek? Apostasy. A defection away from the truth. And Paul says, I marvel that you're doing that so soon. On top of that, you see people making attempts to have revivals of past revivals. They want to relive past works of the Lord and recreate these past works of the Lord. And don't, don't get me wrong, in any way, shape, or form, the desire for revival is not a bad thing. That is beautiful. But we must understand what biblical revival is. When God pours out, never forgetting that Satan pours out as well. The lying wonders. One of the signs of the last days, the lying wonders. They're satanic. You see? But when God pours out, we know what to look for. We know what can be seen. And among the realm of men, who do you know that can discern these, these very things that we look at today? The things that Paul warned us about. The thing that John warns us about. Where are the Pauls and the Johns and the Jameses of our generation in these last days. And you might say, well, I have a good pastor. I have a good pastor. He teaches us about all these things. And he tells us that these modern movements that we see, that they're not of God. Okay. So your pastor gives you warning. Okay. Where do you go to church? And the person says, oh, you know what? We go to church. We're of the reformed sect. We go to this reformed church. Let me tell you something. That's even worse. That's even worse. Because with the other group, at least they're open to things of the Spirit. The bad part is they have no discernment, no Bereans, no teachers to equip them and train them. And with the mainline reformed Calvinist and Presbyterian, you have the cessationists. And they say that the moving of the Holy Spirit, like we see in the book of Acts, they say it's over. They say it's not for today. That's what they say. You ask them why they say that. They say, well, we, we don't see it today. We don't see it today. And because we don't see it today, therefore, it was for the early dispensation. That's what they say. And the unlearned believer ponders. Hmm. Sounds logical. 
Sounds logical. This guy has his degrees in theology, his doctorate in theology. Surely he knows his stuff. And boom, the unlearned one submits himself to the wrong shepherd without realizing the biblical reason why we don't see the moving of the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts. Where is the church? Where is the church like the book of Acts? Where is the saint like the book of Acts? Where are the teachers like the book of Acts? Where are the pastors like the book of Acts? You see? And the cessationists are very prevalent among the Calvinists, Reformed, and Presbyterian. The reason why you don't see the moving of the Holy Spirit, like the book of Acts, with them, is because those pastors have extinguished the Spirit. They've quenched the Spirit. That's something the Bible says not to do. And that's if they had the Spirit to begin with. You say, that's it. That's it. You're way over the top. You're out of line. Really? I'm over the top? You know what's happening in these last days? These cessationist pastors, prevalent among Calvinists, Reformed, and Presbyterian, they're telling believers, they're telling believers that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. They're telling believers there is no penalty for taking the mark of the beast. That's what they're doing. And I'm over the top. I'm the one that's over the top. Go to thewayunderground.com, thewayunderground.com, and go to the Reformed section. And you can hear what's being said. You know what's more shocking? I mean, if that's not shocking enough, you know what's more shocking? Is that the ministry leaders, in the aftermath of this statement, there was no correction, no repentance. You know what happened? They doubled down. And they reaffirmed their position. And then what else happened is you have all these ministry leaders, you know, with sects similar to the Reformed, they coalesced and joined with the notion, oh yeah, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Now, let me ask a question. By what spirit would a pastor tell a Christian to take the mark of the beast? By what spirit? I'll give you the answer. It's not the Holy Spirit. What's left? Spirit of Antichrist. You see? Among the realm of men. Where are the Pauls? Where are the Peters? Where are the Johns? Where are the, the Jameses? Where are they? Where are the teachers? You say, wait a second. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not going to go to these crazy churches that make a mockery of the Holy Spirit with their grave soaking in their glitter, calling it the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go to the Calvinist church. I'm not going to go to the Reformed church. And I'm going to be more hardcore. I'm going to go to the Hebrew Roots church. I need some straight up Old Testament in my life. Go back and listen to our study through Galatians and Hebrews. And you'll understand the error of the Hebrew Roots movement. Okay, you say, wait a second. 
wait a second, you sound awfully elitist. If this is bad and this is bad and this is bad and that is bad and that is bad and that is bad, where do I go? Behold the last days. This is what the Bible warned us about. The times in which we live today. Where Brother John tells us, test the spirits. Test the spirits. You see, where is the saint to go in these last days? Look for Smyrna. Look for Philadelphia and fellowship with the saints there. You see, because the Lord Jesus, our Lord, Son of the Most High, he has tasked these pastors, these shepherds, these overseers to shepherd you in these times of peril. They're specifically tasked by the Lord to guide you in these times of peril. For a long time, a long time, believers, <clears throat> we've read about Bible prophecy and there's been ambiguity, so to speak. And as we get further into the events of the last days, there's also going to be more clarity to prophecy, but it's only among a remnant. It's only among a remnant who have a strong love of the truth. You see, without a strong love of truth, there's more ambiguity to prophecy. It doesn't get more clear. When there's no love of the truth, things don't get more clear. You know what happens? Strong delusion sets in, and we're seeing it happen. To where a person believes the lie. And this is from God. It's judgment. That's what the Bible tells us. It's judgment. And Brother Peter tells us that God's judgment, it begins in the church. You see? We are in the last days. We're seeing these things happen. We're seeing what many people refer to as a moving of the Holy Spirit. But when you understand formula... When you see a person who comes and worships Mary and arrives and they still worship Mary, you know what to look for. You know what's of the Spirit. And in these last days, as we see prophecies about wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and earthquakes and natural disasters, and I could go on and on and on. It's one thing to read the Bible and read about them in the Bible, and yes, that's a good thing. And it's one thing to read about it in the news, but let us not forget, there's human life attached to these calamities. People are dying. People are hurting. People are suffering. And where are the Pauls? Where are the Johns? Where are the Jameses? You see? Where are the Chloe's? Where are the Lydia's? Where are the Priscilla's? You see? And I say, 
I mentioned these females that we see in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in a Naomi sense. Remember our study? It just so happens we studied this on Wednesday. I say it in the sense of Naomi. Because pastoral covering is always male, never female, always male. You see, these are things that sound doctrine teaches. And yes, sound doctrine is a good thing, but there's more. Remember, every high priest also brings gifts. And we see the gifts of the Spirit. Not a mockery of the gifts of the Spirit or the moving of the Holy Spirit. Not a mockery. And also not a extinguishing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You look around, where do we go? Where is the remnant saint to fellowship? We see calamity upon calamity. Financial ruin. These are things that are coming. These are things that are happening. These are things that are going to get worse. Understand that safety. Safety is only found in Jesus. It's where death has no sting. And that's only found in Jesus. And if you're listening and you're like, well, I've never heard it broken down like this. I see the news where these, you know, the revival here, revival there, revival here, revival there, and crusade here and crusade there. I see the news, but there's, there's just something fishy about it. Understand what's happening. Understand what you should see according to the word of God, what you should see to know beyond any shadow of the doubt. This is of the Lord. And in the absence of formula, according to the word of God, you know it is not of the Lord. We have to discern. We have to be wise. Yes, God pours. Absolutely. There's no denying. God does pour. But there's also no denying that Satan pours. And Satan, in the last days, he knows his time is short. His efforts will be on overdrive. And prophetically speaking, he will prevail against the saints. Prophetically speaking. You see? And so you're listening. You're like, wow, I've never heard it broken down like this before. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know what you do? You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. Be unbelieving no more. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life. You commit your life to Christ. And then you come back. You listen. We grow together. We journey together. Together. You say, I'm a new believer. I'm a new believer. I'm just a baby. I'm just a baby. Listen, babies are beautiful. It's not a bad thing to be a baby. The problem is when babies stay babies. That's the problem. When babies stay babies. So if you're a new believer and you're a baby in Christ, praise be to the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. But we move on to perfection. You see? Commit your life. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back. You listen. We grow together. You're a baby. Praise be to the Lord. You're not going to be a baby forever. And don't be a baby forever. You see? These are things that must be factored in. They must be factored in with the times in which we live. The full counsel of the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. 
Because these false teachers, they come in. They're servants of Satan. They come in and they trick the brethren. Remember, they come in as spies. Remember in the Galatians? They come in as spies to bring into bondage those who are free in Christ. And Paul says, I'm blown away that you turn away so soon from Jesus. You see? The pseudodelphos, the false teachers, the false prophets. They're servants of Satan, and Satan deceived the angels. Not all of them, but not a small number, one-third of the angels. That's, what's, that's how effective Satan is, you see? Now, compared to the Most High, he's nothing. He has no power over the Most High. But power will be given to Satan to prevail against the saints. It is written, and we see it happening. We see Satan pour out. And what else do we see? We see people falling for it. You see? We always have to factor in the it is also written. Always. And this is nothing. I mean, we're this is nothing. It's gonna get much worse. This is this is a cakewalk right now. The events of the last days are going to intensify. They're going to get worse and worse. And the deception is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. This is a cakewalk. And already, already, people are deceived. Already, pastors are deceived. Hook, line, sinker. Already. And Brother John says this in verse 2. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 2, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. By this you know the Spirit of God. He says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. He says in verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, remember who John is writing to. This is the remnant of 90 AD. You see? And we make the distinction of believer and non-believer, where in verse 5, Brother John says, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. That's they. And he says in verse 6, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see? Now, one could argue that's pretty elitist of John to say this. For, the, for, for John to even say this, for John to even write this, that's pretty elitist. That's awfully elitist of John to say. I mean, like, if you know God, listen to John. If you're not of God, don't listen to John. John says the spirit of truth is with him. One might think, who does John think he is? How dare he say such a thing? And when you understand formula, when you understand formula, the very things that we 
speak of quite often. When you understand formula, you know exactly who John is. A faithful messenger of the Lord. A faithful servant. A faithful bondservant of the Lord. You see? I mean, if you're not a believer, if you're listening and you're not a believer right here, right now, and you hear us mention these very things, the very fact, and, you know, to make these distinction between believer and non-believer, and you might even think like, well, that's, pre that's pretty elitist. I just want to say one thing. Come inside. Straight up, right here, right now, come inside. Listen, the door of mercy, the door of grace, it's open. It's open. Granted, it's not open like it was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. It's not open like that. And yes, it's closing. And yes, it's almost closed. But as for right here, right now, it's open. Come inside. What's stopping you? You see? And if that's you, you're not a believer, and yet you're at this door that I present to you today, right here, right now. And you're done with unbelief. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Point blank. And so Brother John, he continues. He continues and he says this in verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Brother John is writing to us about the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit, love. Love. Don't forget John's letters. John's letters are the newest letters in the Bible, and I love that so much. I mean, if we were to assemble all the original manuscripts of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and were to assemble all the original manuscripts on the day of completion, from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, it's John's letters. John's letters, they're new, the newest letters in the Bible, John's letters would have the least amount of dust because they're the newest letters in the canon of Scripture. And since it's the newest letter, we must all the more factor in the thousands of it is also written. And John writes to the remnant, writing to the remnant, he teaches us that we must love, love one another. You see, does that mean that we hate everyone else? No way. No way. You see, we love. Pretty simple. But at the same time, we must also respond accordingly to babies and leaven. You see, making this distinct, the distinction between baby and leaven. We also respond accordingly to false brethren, false prophets, false teachers, and wolves. Always making the distinction. Always. The days are evil. The church, prophetically speaking, the church will take casualties. And the church is already taking casualties. God pours and Satan pours. We have to be Bereans. We have to be wise. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. That's what the Bible says. And if you're wondering more about this distinction, how do I make this distinction? How do I discern? How do I discern? How do I discern? Go back and listen to our study from 1 Corinthians. From 1 Corinthians all the way to 1 John chapter 4, you'll understand a lot more. 
And Brother John in verse 9, he says, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see? We're living in a time where the world has redefined love big time. Big time the world has redefined love. And to come against the world's definition of love is deemed by the world to be hateful. We are to love still. We are to love still, even when they hate you. You're so mean, they'll tell you. You're so hateful, they'll tell you. That's what the perishing will say. And that's what the perishing do say. And we are to love still. You see? Remember the words of our Lord. He is the one who said to us, Remember that they hated me first. You see? And in verse 12, Brother John continues, he says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. You see, accounting for the it is also written, moving on to perfection, if the Lord permits. Remember our study in Hebrews 5 and 6, Hebrews chapter 5 and 6, remember? If the Lord permits. This remnant in the era of John is moving on to perfection, and God's love has been perfected. You see? And there is love for one another. You know what this is? This is straight up love feast. Straight up love feast. Biblical koinonia in the ecclesia. And this is what we must strive for in the last days. In fellowship as a remnant. The body caring for the body. Because brother John, don't forget. Brother John warns about the mother of harlots. Inspired of the spirit, the Lord revealed to him this mother of harlots. Don't forget, mother of harlots. You know what that means? Mother of harlots? That means she has daughters. Mother of harlots. That means the daughters of prostitutes. Whores. That's how it translates. Mother of whores. You see? Harlotry. You read the Old Testament. What happens when a people goes astray? Where you read earlier chapters, oh, you are my people, you are my people, you are my people. You read later chapters, you have played the harlot. You are the harlot. You see? That's what happens when there is a defection away from truth, a defection away from the Lord. Remember what Brother James says? You adulterers and adulteresses. He says that to Christians. You adulterers and adulteresses. You know how that translates? Apostasy. You apostates. That's what he says. He says it's not a time for joy and rejoicing. No, it's a time for lamentation. Why? Because you need to repent. You need to be clean. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do, Brother James? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Just like in the Old Testament. Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan. Remember? 
Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what? What is Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Go back and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand more. And not to suggest that there was any generation where it was okay to play games. But we're living in a time where believers can't play games. We have to be very serious. And not to suggest that you're not serious. But there are things that we have to rid ourselves of. And that's the flesh. That's the carnal nature. Carrying our cross, the instrument of death, and reckoning the old man to be dead, reckoning the old woman to be dead. I don't care what the works of the flesh was, you know, your sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, all these different things, Buddha, you know, the Ouija boards, all kinds of different things. Before Christ, hey, those days are over. You come to Christ, boom, those days are over. We're living in the last days. And things are going to get better. They're not going to get better. And sometimes I have these conversations with, you know, the older generation and, you know, the, the older generation, oh, you know, I, I, I'm so fearful for my kids and my grandkids, you know, and my great grandkids. Like they, they're, they're, you know, just so you know, I teach from America and they say, well, you know, America is not like it used to be. Even people in other countries, you know, this, you know, it's not like it used to be. It's not like it used to be. It's not like it used to be. It's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. The Bible refers to these times as perilous times, yes, but also times of sorrows. You talk to old people, they're full of sorrow. Why? Because their kids and grandkids are being raised in a very evil world. It's not like it used to be. Those days are over. They're not coming back. It's the Lord Jesus who's coming. You see? And he teaches us, he teaches us about the condition of the world when he returns. But his word also teaches us about how to prepare ourselves, how to make ourselves beautiful. You see how the bride makes herself beautiful for the coming bridegroom. Does that sound familiar? It just so happens. We looked at this. We studied this in the book of Ruth. It just so happens. It just so happens. When Naomi explaining to Ruth how to make herself beautiful for the better husband. Does that sound familiar? The old interpreting the new. The new interpreting the old. And I speak of the testaments. You see? And every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled in the word of God. Not a time to play games. You see? Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. How dare you say this about, look, this is revival. This is revival. This is revival. You know what to look for. Look, God is pouring his spirit. God is pouring his spirit. Don't forget. Satan pours that as well. Spirit of Antichrist. And in the last days, he's going to be pouring like crazy. You see? And don't forget, he deceived even the angels. Even the angels. You see? When you understand formula, you know what to look for. When you understand formula, you know what to avoid. 
you see? And if you're in a fellowship, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, everywhere you look, the formula is right. Always accounting for babies because babies are going to make mistakes. The problem is when babies stay babies. Three years, same issues. Five years, 10 years, same issues. When you get in like three plus years, you're looking at Levin territory. You see? But when you account for babies, you say, okay, brother stumbled, sister stumbled. And not to say like, okay, no big deal. No, it's a big deal. But let's get you cleaned up. You see? Very important to understand. This isn't going to be the megachurch. The days of the megachurch, that's over. I mean, they're still in existence, but, you know, they're on the path to judgment. The megachurch. I'm of the firm belief, the very, very, very firm belief that last day's fellowship is home fellowship. Very firm belief as judgment comes into the church. Now, if there's a church sitting under, under 50 souls, under 50 souls, Remnant. We're talking, we're in, we're in remnant territory now. I mean, for refining, I mean, that's remnant territory. I'm of the firm belief that the last day's fellowship is the home church. I'm going to make a strong case too, but we'll table that for another time. If you're in a fellowship where the formula all around is right, don't leave. Do not leave. Because this is going to be like the book of Acts type of what happens in that fellowship where people will prophesy. The spirit of the Lord will pour out dreams. Men, women, young, old, having dreams, visions. Oh, the Lord wants us to go here. And then the, the, the church, small church, they go to a different area. And then like, a, you know, you see reports of that. When an earthquake happens or a tsunami happens, you see like death and devastation and destruction. But then you also hear reports of like, wow, there's this little church group, these Christians. Why did you guys leave? Why did you guys get in the bus? You know, like three days ago, why did you guys get in the bus and drive over here? And somebody will say like, well, I had a vision. The Lord says, hey, get out of job, get out of Dodge. And so, you know, we prayed about it and, you know, hey, we got to get out of Dodge. These are things that will be active in the church in the last days. But when I say church, I don't mean mainline. We're talking remnant. The spirit of the Lord pouring out, guiding, protecting. This is Philadelphia, biblical Philadelphia. People say, oh, look, we're, we're Philadelphia. We're Philadelphia. You know, we're going to get raptured. We're going to get raptured before all this stuff happened, before the 70th week of Daniel. We're going to be raptured so I can get drunk. I can do this and we're going to be raptured. No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. You will not find that in the Bible. That comes as a shock to a lot of people. But we're living in a time where people are starting to realize, Christians are starting to realize, whoa, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be seeing this stuff because we're seeing wars and rumors of wars. And look, you know, I, 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 we, we could get nuked tomorrow. You know, my flesh could melt off my bones tomorrow when we get nuked. And people are starting to wonder, like, I, I wasn't supposed to be here. 
And you're also seeing a falling away because of that. But at the same time, you're also seeing people, they're starting to question, whoa, let me look into this rapture. Let me look into the rapture more. You see? And the rapture is biblical, 100% biblical. What's not biblical is a rapture before the 70th week. You see? And you might be listening like, oh my goodness, that's it. This guy's off his rocker. Go to thewayunderground.com and go to this section on the last days and prophecy. And you'll see studies there about the rapture. When is the rapture? And you'll see these studies. The studies through the Thessalonians, the first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians. We'll look at the Greek texts. Go and listen to these studies. You see? And for your love gift of 1995, no, no, that's what the that's what the foolish hirelings do. No, it's free. Everything is there, it's free. Go and listen. It's for you. So that you could understand. Because safety, it's only found in Jesus. Safety for our soul. But as these times of peril, when darkness befalls the earth, just like in the Old Testament, when darkness befell Egypt, there was still Goshen. There was still light in Goshen. And that's the remnant in the last days. Light. You have to understand the formula. You must understand formula. This is a message that, you know, we covered some hardcore things, hard-hitting things. You know, like, oh, the revival over here, revival. And this guy says it's not a revival. You know what to look for. I'm not denying revival. It's not a bad thing to want revival and desire revival. It's not a bad thing when you, you, we want people to come to Christ. You see? But we come to Jesus at 0%. And from 0%, we move on. We move on to perfection if the Lord permits. You see? And I don't say that in a Calvinistic sense. If the Lord permits, go back and listen to our study through Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6. You'll understand more. Not a time to play games. Definitely not a time to play games. And pray for and ask the Lord to guide you into a remnant fellowship. That's why we teach heavily about formula. Because you might be listening, and most of our listeners have their churches that they go to, they have their pastors that they go to, and they listen to these studies as, you know, praise be to the Lord. But, you know, some, some, of, you, some of you listen, and, you know, praise be to the Lord. But when you start to understand formula, and I've had these conversations with people where they're like, wait a second. I've been going to church here for 10 years, for 20 years. And now that I understand the formula, I'm starting to realize that my pastor's crazy. I'm starting to realize that I cannot submit to this guy. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. You got to jump ship. Because God's judgment is coming. It's already here and it's spreading. You say, wait a second, how could you say God's judgment here is here? When the 70th week hasn't begun, it hasn't started yet. Well, listen, understand that judgment comes first to the church. And when there's no love of the truth, it is the Lord 
It is the Lord who sends strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And this delusion is strong. People think the strong delusion is for the non-believer only. No, it's also for the believer. You see? You say, how can that be a believer who has strong delusion? They believe. Listen, Brother James tells us about this. Even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. But do they obey? You see? Go back and listen to our study through the book of James. You'll understand more. We have to look for koinonia, an ecclesia, love feast. You see, this is safety. And you're going to see when God's spirit pours out. I mean, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, you're going to see these things. You're going to see the book of Acts. You're going to see the church. You're going to see, remember in, in, in uh, 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 Hebrews chapter 1? The angels, these are things that we will see. But the formula's got to be right. It's so easy, it's so simple, but it's very intricate. And I have these conversations with old people. I'm so terrified for my children. I'm so terrified for my grandchildren. (laughs) That's biblical. Times of sorrows. The world is fading. The so-called good days, those days are over. It's only going to get worse. And what's going to happen? There's going to be a world leader who emerges on the scene. And the world is yearning for peace. The the world just wants, you know, who is going to arise on the world scene and say, time out, time out, time out. Stop with your missiles. Stop with your bombs. You know, Stop with this, you know, we got to have the, you know, we're going to have these humanitarian efforts and, you know, it's going to be like, you know, uh, Satan's form of love feast. And this world leader is called the Antichrist. And the world will love him. The world will adore him because he's bringing peace, except it's fake peace. It's false peace. And this is the Antichrist. You come against that guy. The world won't only, won't only hate you. The world will want to kill you. That's what the Bible says. Now, you might be listening and you're like very angry with me. You don't like the words that I say. And that's perfectly fine. Hate me. I only ask that you hate me. Do not direct your hatred towards Jesus. Do not. And remember these words that we speak. You know why? Because you might think, this guy is such a fool. How dare he say this? How dare he say this? How dare he say this? And you might say that today, and it's perfectly fine. But something's going to happen in the course of time. Something's going to happen. You're going to see pastors getting crazy. It's already happening, but difficult to discern for most. You're going to see doctrine like, well, what? My pastor says I should take the mark of the beast and I can still be saved? What? You're going to start to see things shaking. The winnowing, remember? 
the winnowing. Remember the feathers and the marbles? It just so happens we just studied this on Wednesday. These are things that you're going to see happening. And I only ask that you remember these words because I want to win you back. I want to win you back right here and now, but you have a choice to make. You might say, oh, this guy is crazy. I can't. Who is this guy? You know, how dare he say this? How dare he say that? But in the course of time, I want to win you back. Remember these words. Because you're going to see things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I pray that in the course of time, you'll jump ship from whatever ship you're on, that you'll jump ship. While the Lord may be found, prophetically speaking, a famine of the word of God. You see? And the door of mercy and grace, it's open. Not as much as it was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. It's narrowly open. And in the future, it's going to be even more narrowly open. And Brother John says this in verse 13. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. You see? There is a true confidence for saints. There is confidence that we have knowing that we abide in Jesus and Jesus in us, knowing that he has given us his Holy Spirit. But we must understand formula according to Scripture. Because the false teacher can say you have the Spirit. The wolf can say you have the Spirit. The preacher of poison can assure you that you have the Spirit. But when you understand formula, and you know that you cannot listen to such teachers, and you know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 8? How you have a body of believers baptized into Jesus Christ, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. You see, John and Peter come to town. They perceive that the spirit had not yet fallen on them. They lay hands on these new believers. They're believers. It's a church, you know, Philip the evangelist. They believe in Jesus. They receive the baptism of Jesus, but they do not have the Holy Spirit. And when John and Peter, they, they discerned. And they saw that the Holy Spirit had not fallen. They lay hands and they received the Holy Spirit. And except for one, the Holy Spirit skipped over one because of his own wickedness. You see? And when you understand the formula, you know that, yes, there is confidence. There is confidence in knowing that, yes, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of the Lord. But the formula's got to be right. You see? Remember John's invitation to us in 1 John chapter 1 where he invited us into his beautiful little bubble, remember? Because John's bubble is not that of Hymenaeus. John's bubble is not that of Alexander. This is John's bubble. And he's qualified, full package. And in this bubble, there is effectuation. There is a confidence that is reserved only for the remnant. Only for for the remnant. You see? 
And we have seen, he says in verse 14, and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. These are things that are fundamental and foundational to our faith. And I love it so much. You know why? Because it's so simple. It's so simple. There was a time when I was a younger chap. I was a younger chap, and there was a time when I was listening to an interview of Michael Jordan, the basketball player. Arguably the greatest to ever play the game. And he was asked about the most important aspect of his game. You know what he said? He said the fundamentals. The fundamentals were the most important aspect of his game. And I was shocked. Because this guy, Michael Jordan, he would gracefully move on the court, doing things and moving unlike ever before seen. And then when the court wasn't suitable, he would take it to the air, gracefully moving in the air, walking on air. And he says the most important part of his game are the fundamentals, the stuff that five-year-olds learn. You see? And Brother John speaks about these fundamentals to our faith, the things that babies learn. Love. He's speaking about love, the greatest gift. Beautiful. Look what John says here in verse 17. He says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Not as he was, past tense, as he is the living God. You see? I am that I am. Him. We're speaking of the Lord. And he says in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, because of these verses, beautiful verses, fundamentals. And because of these verses, it's the false teachers. They like to eliminate the fear of the Lord. They say that we shouldn't have the fear of the Lord. And this is one way they seduce, with no fear of God. And when there's no fear of God, what is unclean stays unclean. And we don't want that. We don't want that. We got to get you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up. Only the clean can clean, remember. So how is this reconciled? How is it that we are to have the fear of the Lord? But then Brother John is saying, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And I'll explain it with my own transformation of fear. My own evolution, if you will, of fear. At age 15, when I was a young chap, at age 15, if a person would have put a knife to my throat, I would have been scared. I would have been terrified. At age 21, if a person would have put a knife to my throat, I would have killed him. Today, if a person were to put a knife to my throat, you know what I'd do? I'd love him. I'd love him. You know why? Because he would be the vessel that rids me of this 
present earth suit. The earth suit that I presently wear. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Of course, I would surely tell him about Jesus and God's love for him. Absolutely. And I would want him to come to Jesus and believe. But that's the evolution of my fear. At age 15, I would have been scared. At age 21, I would have killed him. Today, hey, God loves you. God loves you. I would present the gospel. But if you wanted to proceed and, hey, handle business. You see, that's the evolution of my fear. But this evolution, this transition of my fear, it has come in the aftermath of first fearing God. You see? We have to factor in that it is also written because our Lord himself teaches us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, we have to always account for the it is also written always. Because when a person doesn't factor in the it is also written, you know what happens? They cease to be Bereans. And not being a Berean in these last days, that's not good. That's very dangerous. The bad dangerous. That's not good. That's how apostasy happens. And in verse 19, Brother John, he continues, he says, we love him because he first loved us. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 11? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. And people have it wrong sometimes. They say, oh, you know let me get my life cleaned up and then I'll get right with God. That's the wrong formula. Wrong order. You take the life of filth. The life of filth. And that might be you. The sex, the drugs, the Ouija boards, the whole nine yards. That might be you. You take the life of filth and you come to Christ. And you know what he does? He does the cleaning. He does the cleaning by his word and by his spirit. And he also uses teachers and pastors who are faithful to him. Look what Brother John is teaching us. Look what Brother Paul has taught us. Look what James has taught us. You see? He uses these teachers, teachers who are qualified, pastors who are qualified, who are faithful to him. Now, you might say, like, why do I need a pastor? Why do I need a teacher? If the word of God is spiritually discerned, why do I need a teacher? Now, let me tell you something. Look at the church today. Look at the church today. Look at all the doctrinal errors, which are many. Look at the carnality of overflowing of leaven and the works of the flesh and the carnal nature with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, the Ouija boards, the occult, Mary, crystals, the whole nine yards. Look. Look at all the mess we see in the church today when everybody was doing what is right in their own eyes. Look at the mess we see in the church today. And you know what's interesting? They all have Bibles. They all have Bibles. They read Bibles, but there's no discernment. You see, that's why Brother James says, he says, let not many be teachers. What happened? What happened? No heeding to Brother James. You see, 
And remember, you know, it's so powerful because when we understand formula, these are things that we're able to discern. Confidence of the seal of the Holy Spirit. And with the seal of the Holy Spirit comes effectuation of spiritual gifts. Every high priest has gifts, remember? Go back and listen to our study in Hebrews. Very important. Not the order of Aaron, the order of Melchizedek. It is written. These are things that must be understood in these last days. The days are evil and it's not getting better. It's only going to get worse. It will get better, but it's a fake better. There will be peace, but it's a fake peace. And when people finally achieve peace and safety, we got peace and safety. We got peace and safety. You know what the Bible says? Boom. Sudden destruction. It's a fake peace. And Brother John says this in verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, from the Lord, that he who loves God must Love his brother also. Remember, the greatest gift from the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift. It's not tongues. It's not prophecy. It's not interpretation. It's not even knowledge. The greatest gift is love. You know what I find among the remnant, remnant state, the remnant saints? What I find among the remnant a lot of love, a lot of love, but also a lot of hurt. A lot of love and a lot of long suffering. Exactly like our master. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.